You are listening to the podcast of the Gallery Church. Our desire is to display the goodness of God's grace and love to New York City. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at gallerychurch.com. Our scripture this morning comes from Mark 1, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Uh, Good morning, Gallery Church. Um, Good to see you guys on here digitally. Uh, We are in the third Sunday of 2021. And um, just a quick plug, if you are here this Sunday, make sure you come back next Sunday because uh, next Sunday, Stan is going to lay out our vision as a church for 2021. And so it's important Sunday to to meet, to be present on the Zoom. So... uh, So we're concluding this morning our short series that we started at the beginning of this year called The God of Miracles. And we've been looking at this this powerful God who we serve, who with the, the touch of his hand or the words of his mouth does the supernatural. And uh, today we're finishing our series by looking at one of the miracles of Jesus in the first chapter of the book of Mark. Uh, which Laura just read in Mark chapter one, Jesus encounters and heals a man with leprosy. And this morning, we're going to see that what Jesus does for this man has far greater significance than one man's affliction from a skin disease. What Jesus does for this man is a picture of the miracle that God does in the life of those who put their faith in him. The man in our text has a a highly communicable disease called leprosy, which medically is now referred to as Hansen's disease. Um, But in this time of COVID, we have a better understanding of the dangers of a virus or disease that is highly contagious. And because of COVID, we have uh, an understanding of the fear of it being airborne. I, um, I remember being in the city in March and in early April, uh, we, when we didn't know a lot about coronavirus. And I remember feeling this anxiety to breathe because every breath came with the threat of infection. Thankfully, um, our modern medicine was so quick at diagnosing and learning about COVID that a lot of those fears experienced early last year uh, no longer are prevalent in me. Um, they may be still in some people, but imagine living in a time where there were were no medical advancements, no increased knowledge of a disease. And and the only response to this specific disease was to send the infected out of civilization to to suffer alone or with others dying from that same disease. 
And that was the fate of the man in our text today. That was his fate until his faith led him to encounter Jesus. And so look back at our text. Uh, Look at Mark 1, verse 40. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. So this man comes to Jesus. He bows before him and begs him to perform a miracle in his life. The man asks to be made clean. Today, we would go to the doctor and ask to be healed, but this man doesn't ask specifically for healing. He asks to be made clean. So what does that mean? Well, the reason I felt compelled to talk on this particular miracle of Jesus this morning is because towards the end of December, in my personal time of reading, I was reading in Leviticus, and I got to chapter 13, where Moses is is giving the people of Israel the Levitical laws, and he in 13, we get to the part where he is giving them laws on how the community should deal with cases of leprosy. And Leviticus 13 has all these strict rules for dealing with leprosy. It gets gets very detailed. I'm just going to read the first few verses of Leviticus 13 for you. I know this is an amazing, exciting way to kick off a sermon by reading from Leviticus, but just bear with me here. Um, Leviticus 13, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area of the skin, and if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body, and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair has not turned white, and the priest shall shut the diseased person up for seven days, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if in his eyes the disease is checked, and, it, and, it, and so you get the idea. It goes on and on like this, over and over. All these regulations for how to deal with a leprous-type infection, and and Bible scholars will tell us that the term used here for leprosy in Leviticus was a term used for a number of different skin conditions. And so there were cases of infection that would heal on their own. The law said that they would, would quarantine, something we're familiar with. They would quarantine for seven days, sometimes two weeks. And after that time of quarantine, the priest would be the one to confirm that that person's infection of the skin had healed. And then as Leviticus tells us that that person, after the priest confirms that the infection is gone, that they are declared clean and they would have to offer uh, sacrifices that are required in order to be restored back into, into the community. However, there were some cases, some skin infections that did not heal after a week or two. More severe cases of skin infections that would turn out to be the actual disease of leprosy, not just an infection. And the man that comes to Jesus is one of those cases. The medical doctor Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and his retelling of this story, he says this man was full of leprosy. The man had a severe case. This man had been suffering from leprosy for some time, and And this is the condition 
in which he comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to make him clean. It's more than just healing, but a holistic restoration of life, because a severe case of leprosy was, in essence, a death sentence. Now, I want to give a brief description of leprosy uh, so we fully understand the extent of this man's suffering. Uh, this will uh, be brief, but a bit graphic, so I apologize in advance if you get squeamish, but this is what you get for eating Cheerios during church, all right, um, or Sambui, your avocado toast. Um, so there are three ways that I want to look at the horrors of leprosy, three lenses to look at it through. You have the pain, you have the shame, and you have the blame. See, that rhymes. Um, so first, the pain. Leprosy was a dangerous and highly transmissible disease, but it was also a painful disease. Leprosy would attack your skin. Um, first, the skin would begin with, with lesions and discolorations, and eventually your skin would become bumpy and form nodules that would cause the skin to look almost scaly. And as the condition worsens, it attacks your nervous system where the infected person loses feeling in their hands and their feet and their extremities. It's, it's said that people that suffered from leprosy would often scratch and cut their skin. And because of the lack of nerve sensitivity, they would do significant harm to themselves without even feeling it. They could lose fingers and toes or hands. Um, the disease could attack the face, causing deformities. Uh, you could lose eyebrows or eyelids. Sometimes blindness was associated associated with, with leprosy. Um, it was a truly horrible and painful disease to live with and eventually die from. So there was pain, but there was also shame. Verse 45 of Leviticus 13 gives us these instructions in terms of behavior and appearance for the person afflicted with leprosy. Leviticus 45, follow along with me, says the person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he lives and has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So much like COVID, leprosy was spread person to person. So if you had it, you had to show it in your appearance so people would know that they needed to keep clear of you. You had to wear torn clothes. You couldn't even try to cover yourself with dignity. You couldn't wear something nice to hide your grotesque appearance. And so even your clothing had to communicate your disease and you had to cover your upper lip. We understand that now, right? Because of the disease, was spread through touch or bacteria and through air particles, you had to cover your mouth. So now you're clothed in torn rags and you have to cover your face. Um, one of the unexpected results of our COVID-19 pandemic is the, the social aspect and the effects it has had on us relationally. Um, we are a culture that operates uh, partially on nonverbal communication. We have um, social cues that we, we take from a person's countenance that informs our interactions. We can tell um, if someone is angry by their furrowed brow or their grit teeth. Um, and on the other hand, we can tell if someone is inviting or approachable by a smile. 
There is power in a smile. It's a way to present yourself to the world in a welcoming and friendly manner. But imagine a face covering being a permanent fixture. Imagine never being able to smile at someone ever again. This was a byproduct of the Levitical laws for those with leprosy. And if all of that wasn't shameful enough, you had to announce your illness anytime you got close to uninfected people by shouting, unclean. And so then you're just broadcasting to anyone that gets close that you are a danger to them, that you are a pariah. It said that leprosy could affect your voice, so your voice would become raspy and hoarse, so even your voice sounded unclean. And then you have to quarantine outside the city. You have to live outside of the city. You couldn't even get close to people. So you had to remain socially distanced from the clean of society. So you're cast out of the city, you're dressed in rags, your face is covered, and you have to announce your presence. And so if anyone would listen to you, if anyone would give you a, a moment of dignity, you would probably wanna to say to them, I'm human. I'm really not that bad. I'm not a monster. My disease doesn't define me. But the sad truth was with leprosy back then, your disease did, it did define you. It affected every area of your life. So not only was there perpetual shame and tremendous pain, but lastly, there was, there was blame associated with leprosy. It was commonly thought that in the Old Testament, that when you were stricken with an illness or a disease or even misfortune, it was because of your own sin. Um, we see this in John 9 when, when Jesus and his disciples encounter a blind man and his disciples of all people ask him if his sin or that of his parents caused him to be blind. And, and Jesus de debunks this mentality in his own disciples. But this idea that your affliction or your disease is a result of the sin in your own life was commonly held back there. So think about the psychological anguish that might cause. Just thinking that your painful affliction and your social exile is because of this disease that God has afflicted you with, and it's because of something you did or because of some sin in your life. So what would your attitude towards God be if, if you're stricken with leprosy and the talk around town is that your sin is the reason you have this disease? I mean, I know, I know how I would feel. I would, be, I would be angry with God. If people are telling me that it's my fault, I instead would blame God for my condition. I would probably hate God. I would probably want nothing to do with him because... If I'm suffering from the pain and the shame and the blame of leprosy and God has no mercy on me, my question to God is what kind of cruel being does this to his creation? How can God be good and do this to me? I'd, I'd want some answers, or at least, at least that's how it would play out in my mind if I were standing before God. But the man with leprosy, when he stands before Jesus, God in the flesh, he takes, he takes a different approach. 
maybe you've been there, but have you ever been at a place in your life where you are so hopeless and and so desperate that it propels you to reckless faith? Have you ever been at the end of your rope where you just decide to throw caution to the wind and you say to God, I'll do anything you want. I'll do whatever it takes. Just please change my circumstances. I believe that's what happened to this man in our text. He was so desperate and he was so helpless that he puts it all on the line to kneel before Jesus. This man exhibits reckless faith. Looking back at Mark 1 verse 40 says, and a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So knowing full well that he was that he was breaking the law by not social distancing, knowing that he is highly infectious, knowing that he could even be stoned by getting this close to a rabbi. He pushed all that to the side and in faith-filled desperation, he bows before Jesus. Scripture says he implored Jesus, which means he earnestly begs Jesus to make him clean. He's seeking healing and restoration. And in that moment, his faith in Jesus's power is greater than the fear of what man might do to him. His his hopelessness and his desperation propelled him to take this reckless step of faith, to have an encounter with the only one he believed could make him clean. He broke the religious rules. He, he, He put it all on the line to get near Jesus. Society required he be clean before he could encounter Jesus, but thankfully, Jesus doesn't operate that way. And Jesus doesn't send him away, but Jesus recognizes this man's bold step of faith and and look how Jesus responds. Jesus responds with compassionate grace. Look again at the text. It says, the leper came to him, imploring, kneeling, said to him, if you will make me clean, verse 41 says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Scripture says, moved with pity. Jesus instantly heals this man. And scholars have had trouble finding the right word to appropriately translate that word used for pity there. It's it's like a broken compassion felt deep within. It's saying Jesus felt compassion for this man, and at the same time, he was heartbroken. It's the same word, um, In Mark chapter 6, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, and the scripture says that Jesus was moved with compassion for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's a compassion felt deep in the core of your being. Um, Some commentators say that Jesus felt both compassion for this man and brokenness by the effects of sin on God's creation that would result in something so terrible as leprosy. So, Jesus feels this at the core of who he is. And this is important. Um, I don't want to miss this point here. 
the God of all creation, who sees humanity at its worst, who sees disease, who sees man killing man, who sees children dying of starvation in Yemen right now, who sees people dying right now alone in the hospital because of COVID. God is not numb to these things. He doesn't become calloused like we do, but he is moved with compassion at the depths of his being by the brokenness that sin has caused in his creation. That's very important for us to understand. That God is moved with compassion by the brokenness he sees in our world. And it's from this place of heartbreaking compassion that Jesus not only feels, but he acts. It's from this place of heartbreaking compassion that he is moved to action. The scripture says Jesus touches the man and heals the man of leprosy. And this is interesting to me because um, if you look at the Bible, and you look at all the things Jesus did, just with his words, there's immense power in the words of Jesus. He didn't have to touch this man to heal him. In many places in scripture, Jesus heals by the power of his words. He heals by not even being in the same location as the person healed. So the touch was not necessary for the healing. But Jesus touches this untouchable man anyway. He touches this man who probably hasn't been touched in years. Now, I don't know why Jesus touched him. The Bible doesn't explicitly say, but, but maybe Jesus wanted to be the first to welcome this man back to society with his touch, uh, back to normalcy with his touch. Maybe Jesus wanted the touch to be a confirmation that it's that it's all going to be okay, like, like the delivery of good news to captives at the end of a war or a father comforting a frightened child after a storm has passed. We don't know. But no doubt, Jesus was emotionally and physically, he was aware of the emotional and physical pain that this man had been suffering in. And so maybe Jesus's touch was, was a healing bomb on this man's social and, and emotional wounds. There is power in a touch. There's comfort in a touch. Jesus touches this man. Jesus heals him, and the Bible says immediately he was made clean. Immediately he was made clean. About uh, five years ago, Elizabeth and I went on vacation to, uh, to Greece. And we flew into Athens, and we stood on Mars Hill where Paul preached one of his most famous sermons. And we visited an island called Santorini where they have these beautiful black sand beaches. But most of the time we spent on the island of Crete, most of the time we were just roaming around Crete and exploring Crete. And one of our last nights, we were on the eastern part of Crete, and we saw this, this tiny speck of an island, so close you could, you could swim to it. And the island was called Spinalonga. Spinalonga, it's a funny name for an island, but Spinalonga, if you look it up, has played a long storied role in Greece's history. But, but most recently, for the first half of the 20th century, it was a leper colony. 
In fact, it was one of the last remaining leper colonies in Europe. They called Spinalonga the Island of the Living Dead. This is in the 20th century, the Island of the Living Dead. The Greek would send those with leprosy there to live out their days in isolation and suffering. And, and when I heard this, I was shocked. I mean, I always thought leprosy was an ancient disease for biblical and medieval times. Um, thank God there is medical treatment for leprosy, but there is still no immediate healing. The condition still affects people to this day in places like India and Brazil and Indonesia. And what Jesus did in a singular moment, instantly healing a man of leprosy, the miracle Jesus did, doctors are still trying to, to this day, do through medicine. In other words, modern medicine is still trying to replicate the miracle Jesus did over 2,000 years ago. That's amazing. So you've got the power and the compassionate grace of Jesus on full display here, healing this man with leprosy. The compassionate grace of Jesus is on full display when he heals this man with leprosy. So what does this mean for you and me? Chances are you've probably never experienced a disease that ruins your, your whole life like this man with leprosy. But what if I told you that you have more in common with the man with leprosy than you think? You may not realize it, but in a spiritual sense, we are all lepers. Be, because of our sin, we were all afflicted by a spiritual leprosy and in need of healing. And I know we don't like to talk about sin in our culture. We don't like to admit wrongdoing because then we have to admit that there is a moral standard that we have violated. But the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God, meaning meaning we have all missed the mark of God's perfect standard. We are all sinners, and in our sinful nature, our sinful nature is like a spiritual leprosy. Look at the similarities. Just like leprosy, our sin affects and manifests itself in every part of our life. There is there's not an area of our lives that isn't polluted by sin. And sin that is unaddressed and dealt with in your life will slowly devour you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means we deserve punishment for our wrongdoing. And without miraculous intervention, we are spiritually wasting away and headed for death. Just like leprosy, because of our sin, we feel shame and we try to hide it and cover it up. We, we, we don't want anyone to know that we are afflicted by our sinful thoughts and desires and actions. But the worst part, probably the worst part, is that our sin and shame, in that state, we are separated from God. In our sin, we must quarantine outside the presence of God. We must quarantine outside the presence of God. But just like the man with leprosy who boldly approached Jesus, Jesus doesn't require us to clean ourselves up before coming to him. 
sometimes in the church, we create restrictions that keep people from getting to Jesus, that keep people from seeing Jesus clearly, keep people from drawing near to Jesus. And Jesus wants us to come to him in our brokenness and sinfulness and surrender to him. In the uh, following book of Mark, Mark 2, the religious leaders criticized Jesus for eating with quote-unquote tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says to them, he says, those who are well have no need for a doctor, but those who are sick. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Before Jesus, we are defined by our sinful state, by the things that we've done that have kept us away from God. And just like the man healed of leprosy, we don't have to be clean of our disease to run to Jesus, to throw ourselves at his feet and to ask for healing. Romans 10 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So just like the man, we all need to call out to Jesus. At some point in our life, we need to bow before him, to surrender our lives to him. In our leprous state, we have no other hope but Jesus. And when we do that, Christ looks at us with that same love and compassion and grace, and he heals us and he makes us clean. The good news of the Bible, the gospel message is that Jesus came to heal us and not just to heal our sinful nature, but also to holistically restore us back into communion and relationship with God the Father. So, so how does Jesus do this? How does it happen? You would think that um, Jesus being God just does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, because that's what I would do if I was God. I, every day I'd eat Chick-fil-A and I would drink milkshakes and I'd never gain weight and I'd water ski to work on the backs of dolphins. Um, I, would, I would Bruce Almighty this city. But you see, it doesn't work that way. The Bible says that God is a God of order and God had a plan and a direction for the life of Jesus. And so when Jesus intervenes in the life of the man with leprosy, there are still consequences for Jesus. There are still consequences. There are byproducts of this encounter with Christ. Look back at our text. Read with me again. Uh, verse 43, it says, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So Jesus heals the man with leprosy. He cleanses him, tells the man not to tell anyone what he did, but he tells him to go see a priest so the priest could confirm his cleansing and the man could be restored back into community. But instead, this guy disobeys. Stan would say this joker disobeys. This guy tells everyone about what Jesus did for him. And it says from then on, Look at the text. From then on, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but Jesus was out in desolate places. So the man receives healing, 
and disobeys Jesus? And what are the consequences for Jesus for this man's disobedience? He, in essence, trades places with the leper. This man's disobedience has consequences for Jesus. Jesus trades places with the leper. Before the the miracle, the leper was the one who had to live outside of the city, stay away from the town. He was living in desolate places. After the miracle, verse 45 says, Jesus couldn't enter a town and was out in desolate places. So Jesus takes the man's place outside the city and the man gets to be restored into the community. The man gets his life back. According to the Levitical law, the man healed of leprosy was still required to offer up a sacrifice to be declared clean in society. Still had to offer a sacrifice. He would go to the priests, they would take two pigeons and and sacrifice them to the Lord for this man's full restoration and cleaning. And in the same way, in our spiritual leprosy, Jesus declares us clean, but there is still a cost for Jesus to heal us. There is still a sacrifice needing to be offered for our sins in exchange for our cleansing. And and this is the miracle of the cross. On the cross, Jesus trades places with you and me. Jesus, sinless, clean, son of God, becomes unclean, bears our sins on the cross. He took the punishment we deserved so that we could be declared free of sin, clean of our sin. And to show God's power over sin and death, God raised Jesus from the grave on the third day in in, in the Levitical law. Only the priest had the power and the authority to offer sacrifices to God and declare a leprous person clean. But Jesus, our great high priest, offers himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 7.27 says, Jesus did this once for all, so we no longer need to continually make sacrifices before God for our sins because Jesus is great sacrifice, paid the ultimate price for our sins. And Jesus was resurrected and now sits at the right hand of God the Father, where he intercedes for us. That's amazing. That is the miracle of the cross. We are the spiritual leper that didn't deserve his mercy, but when we place our faith in Jesus, he has compassion and grace for us, and he cleanses us of our sins. So how do we respond to such a loving, compassionate, gracious act? How does one respond when instead of death, they receive life? How does the man healed of leprosy respond? Not great, right? The first thing Jesus tells this guy to do is, is uh, after he heals him, he says, you know, don't do anything, go to the priest, don't tell anybody. And this guy disobeys and, and, and blows up Jesus's low profile, right? His disobedience makes Jesus' ministry that much more difficult after that. And you know what I find incredible about Jesus? Is that Jesus being God in the flesh, we believe that he is all-knowing. And so he no doubt knew that this man would not obey him. He knew this man 
just healed of the awful disease, just given his life back, would disobey Jesus's first command to him. And yet, knowing that, Jesus still heals the man, still makes him clean, still gives him his life back, still trades places with him. What a gracious, loving Savior. He doesn't demand perfection from us. Instead, he offers perfection for us. He doesn't guilt us into obedience, but he offers grace when we fall. You see, Jesus, as I said, is all-knowing, so he knows that we're going to let him down. He knows we will disobey, and yet Jesus still offers us relationship and healing and salvation. And so I'll ask it again, how should we respond to a God like this? I want to close, or as Stan says, I want to land the plane by going back to the, the island of Spinalonga. The island of Spinalonga. It was inhabited by about 400 lepers. And there was an old church there that was in disrepair, disrepair that no one cared about because so many of the lepers had rejected God in their afflicted state. I mean, who could blame them? They were exiled to the island of the living dead. But there were still many lepers there who longed to worship, who longed to feel like they were taking part in this normal ritual of, of worship and going to church. And one day, an old Greek monk came to the island to administer communion. Um, funny name, his name was Father Chrysanthos, one of those beautiful Greek names, Father Chrysanthos. And it said that upon his arrival, he, he shook hands with the leper, something people wouldn't do. And he held a small service and he, he administered communion. And in a moment of shock to all of the lepers, Father Chrysanthos drank from the same communion cup as the infected lepers. And he left <clears throat> and the residents of Spinalonga thought that they'd never see him again. Or if they did, he would come back as a patient, not as a priest. But that old monk, he came back, he returned, and he ended up living and ministering there for 10 years until the island was closed. And Father Chrysanthos simply thought he was being obedient to Christ's call on his life. He didn't think he was doing anything spectacular, anything out of the ordinary. But to the people, he was a picture of the compassion and the grace of Jesus. He was willing to touch the untouchable and give dignity to those that society had cast out. Gallery Church, when you realize that you are a spiritual leper and Jesus took your place so you could be made clean, when that truth truly impacts you, you will respond with reckless faith in order to serve Jesus. And you will respond in obedience so you can share this good news message with the city full of lepers. Gallery Church, he's the God of miracles, and the greatest miracle he performed is the resurrection of our souls. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning because of the truth of your word. Because we can look at the stories of the miracles that you performed 2,000 years ago and realize that you are performing that miracle every day in the lives of people by bringing them from death to life through salvation and faith in you. And so, God, I pray as a church, you would move us to reckless faith in you, to bold faith, living out that faith in New York City, not being ashamed of this gospel message, but wanting to share the way you have changed our life. Lord, may we respond now in song to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are encouraged in your walk with God through this podcast. For more information about this church, please visit our website at gallerychurch.com.